You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. Well, I had a whole thing planned, but due to the events of January 6th, I, of course, had to rewrite my introduction. And you know, it doesn't matter how many times people said, I told you so, or how many times people said he wants a civil war, or how many times you told people he wants a civil war. He got a battle yesterday. He got it. It was disgraceful, disgusting, terrifying. All of our senators were in the Capitol, all of our representatives, when the building was stormed by domestic terrorists. Imagine if they killed everybody. And don't say, well, it just came together. It was one of those terrible consequences. It was not. It was planned. There were buses. People drove in from Michigan and Kentucky and Texas and Alabama, or they flew in. Hey, maybe they got a group rate flying in on the insurrectionist special. They wore merchandise. They had merchandise with stuff saying Camp Auschwitz, recommending it. Trump Civil War, January 6, 2021. I mean, really, they were probably selling merch. You saw the pictures. We all saw the pictures. And we also heard Donald Trump inciting these people and then telling them they were very special and he loved them. Furthermore, before I forget, he said, we all feel your pain, meaning how sad they were that their leader was not reelected. He has never once talked about the pain of anyone who lost a loved one to COVID-19. Not once. Ugh. This podcast, I have to remind myself, is called Five Things That Make Life Better. Some of you may recall that I began it as a way to cheer myself up because of the Trump administration's many bad moves that made me sad. Every day brought bad news many times a day. But it was, you know, Ryan Zink, was that his name? Fink Zink, who kept spending money on his office and he needed a special cone of silence or something. I don't remember what position he had. Or it was Betsy DeVos making sweeping changes in public education, a subject about which she knows nothing knew nothing and knows nothing, or more environmental protections rolled back. And those seem like baby problems, baby infractions compared to what's going on now. But I gave myself an assignment, find five things. You can do it, Lisa. You can do five things that make your life better. And I did it. And I did it. And I kept doing it. And you know, it did make me feel better. And then I started having guests. And then we had interesting conversations. And I read a lot of great books. And really, we enjoyed it. It was upbeat. This podcast got a reputation for making people feel better. And we helped one another through the gloom. Well, I thought that, you know, not that life was going to change on January 1st, but that we could really just enjoy the expectation of better days to come. And then this happened. So look, we know, we know it all. He's a madman. He's a narcissistic sociopath. He's a malignant sociopath. He's a demented. He's a Russian agent. He's Vladimir Putin's asset. I don't know. He's bad. He's bad and God knows what he can do before he leaves. But guess what? 
I have a perfect guest for today. I started following Noel Kassler, I don't know, a couple of years ago. He used to work for Donald Trump on The Celebrity Apprentice. He worked on the finales, bringing celebrities to the show, managing their many needs, and then getting them to the after party and photographed and so on. He also had to manage Ivanka Trump at the finales. So he really saw the family up close and the dynamic. He also worked on some of the beauty pageants that Donald Trump ran. He also worked on very wonderful shows like the Kennedy Center Honors and Super Bowl halftime shows and stuff. That's what he does. Of course, he had to sign an NDA working for Mark Burnett and Donald Trump, and he did sign it, but he's been talking out quite bravely, I think. And why is he talking out? Because he knows that he's wanted to warn us about this person. So he does stand up. He's very entertaining, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. But first... First, there are five things that make my life better. Number one, the puppy, Sheila, is sleeping near my ankles. I love looking down at her. It's so sweet. She is optimism for me that we are putting our hearts into this little creature. It's very nice. Number two, we just bought a mattress. Now, listen, if you haven't bought a new mattress in a long time, you're going to have to do about a semester's worth of research. It's very laborious. And then there are all these newcomers that have tried to disrupt the industry that will mail one to your house and and you can try it and send it back. Anyway, we did the research, we did the shopping, we got the mattress, and we are hoping that it will like us as much as as we want it to and as much as we can. You know what I mean. We just hope we like it. The first two days were a little iffy. Number three, saying I love you to your friends, your loved ones of any kind. You know what? What a good thing to do. Makes them feel good. It makes you feel good. When I heard that senators, congresspeople, aides, the people who were locked up in the Capitol while the marauders were marauding called those people who are important to them and told them they loved them, they did not know that they would make it out alive, remember? Well, we're not in that situation, but never hurts to tell somebody that you love them. I don't mean love you mean it. I mean, I love you. Number four, the Washington Press Corps. I've said it before, the reporters who are really on a mission to tell a story of what is really going on, who believe in digging for the truth, who show up day in, day out, cold weather, rainy weather, dangerous circumstances, floods, whatever. It's not for riches, that's for sure. And it's really not for glory, we really owe them a debt of thanks. And when I talk about them, I'm not just talking about the reporters. I'm talking about the photographers. I'm talking about the camera people, the sound people, because they're all at the same risk. Number five, a hot bath. Yep, simple, gets you disconnected from your worries and the media. It's just what we need. <laughs> I hope you will enjoy Noel Kassler. He's a pistol. And we're going to have quite a conversation. Very juicy. Don't go away. Noel Kassler, I have never been so excited to talk to somebody as I am talking to you because you know everything. 
Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. It's an honor to be here. You worked on Celebrity Apprentice for six seasons. Is that right? Correct. I did the uh, the finales, the Celebrity Apprentice finales for six seasons. I'm telling you, I'm so dumb. I didn't know there were six seasons of that. But okay, so there were. And you work in your career, you've worked as a sort of celebrity wrangler, producer, talent person that, on television and in live events. Exactly. That's exactly what I did for 25 years. Everything from the Super Bowl halftime show to the Kennedy Center Honors. I did the Tony Awards for 20 years, the Grammys, anything you see live on television where talent is performing, I was involved with. And that's a very small world. And most of the things I did were sort of big marquee events like that. The ancillary side of that business is doing something like Celebrity Apprentice, you know, where it was just a, a goofy little thing that I did on a lark and it turned into, well, we know what it turned into. We know what it turned <laughs> into. But riddle me this, as the kids say. And I don't know if you know this, Noel, but I went to Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump because it was in 1996. He was turning his private house into a public club and he wanted a big story on it in New York Magazine. And I was the reporter who went with him. We also, I have to say, Judge Janine Pirro was also on the plane going to Palm Beach that weekend. Just a little side note. Oh my God, that's amazing. I did yeah. not know that. My uncle was at New York Magazine for a long time, Eric Pooley. I don't know if you Oh, I never knew him, but I certainly have read him right over on. the years. Okay. So I had a big amount of time with Donald Trump on a weekend in 1996. He was married to Marla Maples. He was, you know, a jerk, but he was a good natured jerk in front of me. And he wasn't even that much of a jerk in front of me. He was he was just a bragger, but he did not show any signs of the ruthlessness. Now I know it was an act. Anybody can behave well for a weekend, but the ruthlessness, the racist, the rapist, the I mean, I have racked my brain over and over. Did he do something to me that I have buried? Did he do something or say something about other people in my presence? Nothing. I got nothing. So when he ran for president, I thought it was a joke, as did everybody. And I was devastated that he won, but had no idea he was so evil. When did you discover that he was evil working on Celebrity Apprentice? Well, that's a fascinating story. And you're right. He has that side of him where he can be charming. He wasn't, and charming, I use that loosely, but you know, he can sort of be the big, larger than life New York character and come in a room and sort of play up the Donald Trump you want to see. What I began to see and what I saw the first season on Celebrity Apprentice, we shot it at 8H at SNL at Rockefeller Center, mm -hmm. you know, the SNL studios. NBC, exactly. Right. And he couldn't read. So they did a run through and they had a cue card and it said arbitrage, you know, mm -hmm. and he tried to read the word and he couldn't. And he freaked out that they were like trying to set him up. He started screaming that they were trying to set him up because he struggles with big words. And who would they be? The, the, he's, he's, Mark Burnett? Yeah, the script department. You know, the, uh -huh. you're trying to set me up like you're trying to make me look stupid, you know, and just flew into a rage and stormed off set. And Keith Schiller follows him and he goes into a dressing room and snorts the Adderall and comes out and he's flying out of his nose, you know, and that was beyond what I'd seen earlier on the pageants, which was, you know, 
I've told these stories publicly. I don't know if you know them, but like the first season they did, uh, you know, Miss Universe. Right. And you said he lined up the girls like... Like pieces uh, of meat. Like pieces of meat and just told them, basically, if you want to win, you've got to go to my hotel room tonight. Exactly. And he didn't, you know... That was sort of implied. He would line them up on stage and he'd stick their fingers in their mouths and check their teeth and stuff. And while all this is happening, you know, cameramen, union DGA stage managers are standing around. It's costing the production a fortune. Mm -hmm. He spends an hour, you know, inspecting these contestants and they lose all this production time and i'm thinking like this is crazy like this will not be sustainable you know and cameramen are going home and telling their wives about it that you know right the ad's and the trucks are like can you believe this pig because he would refer to women and really you know get a close-up on her tits you know really yeah, crazy yeah. stuff and you're like this won't last the second year on that show they'd written it into the production schedule trump inspects contestants like no utilities call meaning they no. told yes and and that was my first lesson in trumpism is like they're going to normalize his insanity because there's money to be made and i tell that because i that stuck in my brain you know that would have been around the time you met him i think it would probably be around 96 or 98 you know because mm -hmm. i did a miss teen universe and miss universe so that was the late 90s jump ahead to 2007 or 8 when i did the first celebrity apprentice i remembered right. that i was like oh man they're still normalizing this insane behavior you know and my friends that had worked on the uh the apprentice proper you know i worked on celebrity apprentice because i'm a so that was the second iteration right. of it right? exactly i wasn't okay. involved in the reality show portion where it was sort of unknown people vying for business careers you know i did it when they were bringing in cindy lopper and all this talent and a colleague was like can you come help us wrangle the talent because it's a live shoot and it's pretty complicated from a directorial standpoint but my friends who'd worked on the apprentice proper the first season told me horror stories you know, of him going on racist tirades in the helicopters when they're shooting B-roll and they're flying over Queens and he's, you know, using the N-word and describing all the Muslims and, you know, mm -hmm. Latinos using an S-word to describe them. You know, he's going on these racist rants, which was all recorded. And then he was like, when they, when Mark Burnett showed up at Trump, the offices to, to shoot the show and the premise of the show is this guy's a billionaire you know they showed up and like the furniture's all threadbare and ratty so they had to go out and rent furniture to sort of make him look rich like that boardroom you saw on the mm -hmm. show was a soundstage so my point in that was you saw the cracks and and more like the con of here's a dysfunctional guy who's not really a billionaire but television and television plays one yeah exactly is willing to keep that lie alive because it was a top rated show for a time it was a big money maker on sunday night for nbc well the interesting thing is of course that he has always been much more sensitive about how rich he is than he has about his hair for example <laughs> you know we all think his hair is a crime but it turns out if you not even accuse is the wrong word but if you underestimate or lowball his net worth he flies into a rage but Noel, by this point, had you signed an NDA of, at NBC or at Trump Enterprises or whatever it was called? Mine was through NBC. And yes, through the production. So I was never an employee directly of Trump. I worked for Mark Burnett Productions. Okay. Is Mark Burnett, 
he's the one who came to Trump with the idea. He could have gone exactly. to Creepo Steve Wynn. He could have gone to a lot of creeps. Oh. He also could have gone to a lot of decent businessmen. Well, absolutely. And and that, how that whole thing began. And, and there was a great piece in The New Yorker last year, a couple of years ago. Patrick, I can't think of his last name, a writer, did a deep, deep dive on it. Burnett had gone to Putin first. His original idea was to do it on a Russian oligarch and the Mir space station and like funding of the space station. And those, oh, come on. It's a true story. You can look it up. That's why I told you the New Yorker at the beginning, because it sounds too unbelievable, but it is in fact true. So that was Burnett's original idea. They're the ones who said, no, you want to do it on Donald Trump back in New York. So it was the oh, Russians. My. That, it, was a, it was a production note from Vladimir Putin. Exactly. Because that's how he wanted permission from Putin to do to you know film part to, of the the Mir space station, and it it was tied in with an oligarch somehow. I don't know if the Mir was being funded by oligarchs at that point, but that was his original focus. And they were like, "No, you want to do it on basically our boy in New York, <laughs> you know, who's laundering money for us and help us launder his image and make the world think he's a big billionaire." Because if you remember, his stock had fallen, so to speak, before The Apprentice aired. You know, you're a New Yorker. And the weird thing was when he came and did that show, he brought all his kids on right. board. You know, if you're a billionaire's kid, you're doing equestrian stuff. You know what I mean? Mike Bloomberg lives right. down the road right. from me. His daughter's got a riding ring. She's not Well, being... she's got a life. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But he had all his kids on there literally collecting per diems. You know, they were showing up on the show because it was the best paycheck they had in a long time. Because if you also remember, he'd blown that inheritance that he got from his father that he forced his siblings to sell. You know, so he was on the ropes financially when he got The Apprentice and it was a huge windfall and the whole family got in on the grift. My, my jaw is on the floor. So give me a moment just to process that. So Mark Burnett, had i mean honestly this is mark burnett's fault all of this it is you know and mark's a huge enabler trump follows like 47 people on twitter two of them are mark and his wife roma downey who purport to be deep christians exactly yeah well that's another thing i'll never understand is how christian people justify their partisanship of an adulterer liar cheater but I, I don't know right. if we can get to that. But so you signed an NDA and so did many other people and everybody else has stuck to theirs. I do worry about you. My uncle Why? does too. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, my, I, he, we know he's litigious. We've seen what he does. Now, of course, he never pays his lawyers. So, you know, there's probably nothing he can do to you. It's bigger than me. Um, here, here's my take on that, if you want. You know, I, they reached out to me in 2016. I had a, I worked on Obama's inaugurations, President Obama's two inaugurations. So I had friends that had transferred over onto Hillary's campaign. And one of them reached out and knew that I was sharing these stories about Trump, like the behind the scenes stuff that wasn't coming out. Because former directors of the show, ADs, People were all talking about this stuff. The things that I know are not unique to me. There's people right. that know worse. And we all talked about this stuff openly. So I'd sort of been speaking about it on Facebook. A friend reached out. I was doing the New Yorker Festival at the time. And I remember we were at the town hall. I was with Springsteen and Louis C.K. doing a, uh, like oh, a live talk with... Uh, the three of you. They, the yeah, three well, musketeers. Yeah. David Remnick was there and uh, Molly, uh, I forget who else was there. 
was the uh, MC. But anyway, so they reached out to me that day and said, look, you know, I'm working for Hillary's campaign. I know you've been telling these stories. Would you mind talking to them? And I said, I'd be happy to, you know, and Mm -hmm. I spoke with somebody at her campaign, told them what I knew. They were more interested in all the uh, the sexual harassment, you know, Mm -hmm. slash assault stuff than they were the drug side of it. And they put me in touch with People magazine. I gave people the whole story. One of their reporters had been attacked in Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure you know that story. Natasha. Right. And they were going to do a feature. You know, it was going to be a cover story. You know, mm-hmm. and I gave them background. So I wasn't on record. I was just giving background. They're like, we don't mm-hmm. even need you. We have other sources. We just want to know if they're correct. And I'm like, yep, this is what I know. It never happened. It never came out. I don't know if there was catch and kill involved in the People magazine. I suspect there was. Mm-hmm. But um, if, anyway, it didn't come out. The Access Hollywood tape broke around this same time. And I believe Hillary's campaign thought like, that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Ooh, he's well, done. Right. Yeah. In a, in a normal world, it would have been nobody knew what Comey was going to do a week and a half later, which I think right. hurt her. Right. And, and obviously, there was all kinds of other stuff that went on, you know, 70,000 votes in, in, you know, in three swing states. But that's another issue. But so anyway, cut to the chase. He wins. Right. And I'd been calling all my colleagues during to, during the campaign being like, talk to the New York Times, talk to this one. Do something, right. do something. My buddy, yeah. who, who's an audio guy, heard that rant I alluded to in the helicopter when they're shooting right. B-roll. Because if you- The N, the N and the S. Yes. And, yeah. and, 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 the, and the gist of the statement was, look, look down there at Queens. When I was a kid, this was all white. Now look, it's a bunch yeah. of NS Muslims, you know, that's disgusting. It was a white supremacist rant. Right. You know, and my buddy is a Puerto Rican, like New York Puerto Rican sound guy, you know, who's like was telling me he couldn't believe he would say this stuff. And that's the other thing with Trump is behind the scenes, he would flaunt his power. You know, mm. he, he got off on the fact that he could get away with saying the N word in front of all these people and describing other contestants. So long story short, I tried to get some colleagues to speak out. They didn't want to. Not that they didn't not like Donald Trump. In our business, you can't really speak out. You know, it wasn't right. It, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, for lack of a better term. You know. Well, and also, you know, I remember when Tom Arnold was trying to get the audio tapes of the racist rants. I was thinking, you know, the people who will be upset by it are us. Right. The people who support him will love that. That's an excellent point. It's not going to help. Right. You know, and all the wonderful books that have been written by people who saw him up close, they're only read by Democrats. Absolutely. No, that's, so, a, that's a wonderful yeah. point. I mean, James yeah. Zirin wrote a book, you know, the former SDNY prosecutor outlying right. 4,000 court cases. Like you needed nothing beyond that, you know, just knowing a couple of these nefarious deals that Trump was involved in, in the building of Trump Tower, you know, in right. 1982, 83, like crazy stuff. <laughs> that if, Oh, just like lying about how many stories exactly. and how tall it is. I know. I mean, his lying is compulsive. We know that. And there's a lot we know about him through his niece and through just watching him and his occupation of our brain. But you know stuff or you're willing to talk about stuff that other people haven't. So I want to get straight to fake Melania. Yeah. Okay. 
I truly believe, based on reading your tweets, that there is a cadre of women who have gone on the road with him or who have been filmed behind him who are not his wife. Is that true or not true? 100% in my belief that is true. Okay. And part of Trump's- Bingo. Yes. And I knew it. Right. And I'm not working in the White House now. I don't have firsthand, you know, I don't know, like I didn't watch them switch them out in the coat closet, so to speak. But- (laughs) (laughs) But here's the deal. We use stand-ins in live television all the time. You know, Trump's presidency is a television production. He's very savvy in that. Melania, who I do know, doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do. Okay. And she's no... That seems clear. Right. And and she's no fan of Donald Trump. She was no fan of his back then. I'm not saying she doesn't support what he does, but they're not close. Let's just put it that way. Well, she... Okay. But let let me finish. Just for your listeners. So... She doesn't do things she doesn't want to do. So uh, sort of a B-roll take like, hey, we're going to Arlington Cemetery today to stand in front of a grave for an, a photo op, you know. And for the, a nanosecond. Right, and the press pulls 100 yards away. I'm not going. Send the stand in. You know, I'm not sitting yeah. in hair and makeup for that. Yeah. And if you look at the pictures, tell your viewers, just look at the, or your listeners, Look at the photographs. The photographs, it's obviously not her. It's the, obvious. Right, the, there, there, There's a woman who smiles right, much more broadly right. than Melania Trump. Who's shorter? Because Melania is taller than Trump when she stands next to him. Trump wears lifts in his shoes. He's about right. 6'1". He tries to come off as 6'3", but she's you know over six foot in her high heels and her hair. So right. th- the woman they brought back from Mar-a-Lago and apparently went down there with clearly is not her. You know, the big sunglasses, the different chin. Now, I've been speaking about that, as you mentioned on Twitter. So somebody who followed me unrelated to this, someone I sort of trusted, you know, who'd been sort of in the Twitter verse thing with me, sent me an email or, you know, a message about a summer ago and said, hey, you know, I was at a party in the DC area with a well-known photographer for the White House. And they said, yes, there absolutely is a fake Melania. We know it, but there's so many other lies and malfeasance that we're just not kind of making it a story. Oh, right. Because he throws so much garbage out every day and the White House does every day that you can't catch all of it. Right. You have to let a lot of it go. I am 100% positive that you're correct. I've studied the pictures because, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm fascinated by it. Also, it's very well known that Melania has a boyfriend. Yeah, Hank. Or di- or Hank, yeah. or at least had a boyfriend before she moved down to Washington. And he was one of the reasons she didn't want to leave town. Absolutely. And he was cool with it. He didn't care. They were like coming from different camps back in the finales when I worked with them. She was coming from a different place. It wasn't like they were arriving together in the same SUV from Trump Tower. Right. Okay. So confirm this because I've been told by reporters friends that this is true. Melania Trump does not live at the White House. Yes. She has her own accommodations there and she has her hair and makeup room, but she lives with her parents and Barron somewhere else. That's what I am told. And um, I think it's in Potomac, Maryland. Uh-huh. And I can't speak about her son because he's underage. So it's just one right. of those rules. But right. I know somebody involved in the situation who confirmed that to me, you know, right. who's involved with schooling and stuff. And Right. So everything we know about her and Donald Trump is a lie. Absolutely. And I'll give your listeners another, you know, sort of clue into that. 
is that her accent is stronger now than it was 20 years ago. That's oh, how funny. That's because she lives with her parents. So Slovenian is her first language. That's right. what she's speaking all day long. That's what anybody, you know, I, don't, I, I won't talk about her kid, but that's the tongue that she's comfortable in. Because you think about the fact that she's been first lady for four years, been in the public eye for, you know, 15 years. Most people would take a speech class. This isn't an anti-immigrant thing. It's a production thing. You want to be it's heard also, clearly. by the way... All my friends who are from other places say that the longer they live away from their native land, the more their accent fades and it sort of gets ratcheted up again when they visit home. Exactly. So her understanding of the English language doesn't seem very impressive, but she does know the word complicite. <laughs> She does. She does. But it, it, exactly. Right. I mean, she's not speaking English all day, which is fine. But it just shows you that they're not speaking Slovenian in the White House. Let's just put it that way. You know. OK, correct. OK, next, we have to go to the kids. Just think about for a second if the Obamas had said, you know, Malia is a smart girl. We're going to put her in charge of peace. <laughs> We're going to put her in charge of housing. We're going to put her in charge of, I don't know, revamping infrastructure. People would have been outraged and offended and they would have thrown him out of the White House. Here, there are a bunch of criminals, grifters, and people who needed tutors and somebody to write papers for them who are in charge of everything. 100%. Now, is Jared even, I mean, we all know his parents bribed Harvard to take him in. And we NYU. All... They paid for a lounge at NYU to get him into law school as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> is there an intelligent bone in his body? Is he bright and bad? Is he stupid? What is he? He's cunning. And here's what I tell people. They run the show. I was Ivanka's handler for the last three seasons of Celebrity Apprentice. I, when right. I first met them, they were dating. Then they broke up. Then Wendy Dang Murdoch, Putin's ex-girlfriend, said, no, you guys are getting back together. Right. right? And then all of a right. sudden they got married, I think, 2010. And then they were an item, a duo, right? Right. They're running the show. They were running the show back then. And here's the deal, like, I tell people this. Trump is a narcissist. Like, his, he doesn't have a long game. You know, he wants to feel what he can feel in the moment. You know, mm -hmm. he wants to walk into a room. He wants to music to play. He wants to get high and he wants to hit on women is how I put it. You know, he wants the trappings of power. As a matter of fact, back then he would walk into the after parties with like his security guards, like mm -hmm. running a phalanx like he was president back then. And he would hope right. he would hope everybody right. would turn and look at him like, wow, it's Donald Trump. And it's like the after party at the Museum of Natural History, you know, where we yeah. and we're like, dude, we just saw you 10 minutes ago filming a show like Joan Rivers doesn't care that you're back in the room. But, right. but I say that because he needs immediate gratification. Jared and Ivanka are playing the long game. They want to be rich and they want to run the world. So while he is not smart, he is ambitious and he's dumb enough that he thinks he's smart, if that makes any sense. You know, he thinks like he can get what he wants from MBS, you know, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, MBS, and not realize like MBS is going to murder a reporter. You know what I mean? Like, 
Jared thinks he can set up a back channel with Russia while Trump is still president elect, you know, and, and sort of cut the foreign service of the United States out of the equation and not get busted for it, which he did. But okay, so of all the malignant things that have happened and been done, this wouldn't work if the GOP didn't let it work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about criminal acts, you're talking about malfeasance, you're talking about treason, you're talking about uh, violations of every kind, but it would not have, it would not have happened had it not been for little Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, I guess, who would lie down and roll over for him. Why? Why? They're venal men and they're easily corrupted, you know, and, and they have compromise. You know, when Trump was really building real estate, he would blackmail people, you know, he would invite commissioners and stuff to his parties, you know, and he would get compromise on him and he'd say, you know what, I need that building permit fast track, you know, so I have no doubt that Lindsey Graham, Ron Johnson, Devin Nunes, who's getting the, who got the Presidential Medal of Freedom today. Yeah. You know? um, and Jim Jordan, who still has to answer right. the Ohio State. <laughs> right. Uh, who looked the other sexual, way. Right. right. 500 right. people were, uh, were were molested by that, that former doctor or coach. Right. So these guys are easily corruptible, you know, and Trump exploits that, you know, and Trump also gets these type of guys that look up to him. People fall for that kind of sense of power. I think they were intoxicated by the power that he showed in, in these MAGA rallies. Not that it was powerful to a, a sentient being with any kind of intelligence, you know, but to people that were looking to exploit their base, you know, somebody like Mitch McConnell, who, you know, has the 43rd, like, poorest state in the union with the lowest right. education numbers, but is worth right. $20 million himself, doesn't want his constituents to find out they're getting screwed over by him and he's getting rich and they're getting nothing out of the deal. And if a charismatic guy comes by and waves a flag, you know, and makes it real simple and one little MAGA slogan, that becomes hard to resist for these guys. But I agree with you. What I'm most shocked about is that none of these guys wanted to be a hero in the last four years. You know, it yeah. would have been so yeah. easy to be like, I'm going to be the guy to take him down. You know, it would have been so easy to say enough. Right. The Republican Party has to stand for something. But it feels like they were brainwashed. Unbelievable how he has been allowed to do and do and do and pillage and pillage and, and embarrass this country for four years. Um, he was very close uh, with Ghislaine Maxwell yeah. and Jeffrey Epstein. And I think it's fair to say that there are more pictures of Donald Trump with the two of them than there have ever been with him and Tiffany or him and Barron. Absolutely. I didn't even know there was a Tiffany Trump, but I took care of the Trump family for six seasons. Oh, my Do you know God. what I'm saying? He wouldn't, would, yeah. he wouldn't let yeah. her on the show because she wasn't telegenic. <laughs> it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Right. It's unbelievable. By the way, the article I wrote for New York Magazine is the article in which he was sitting at a fountain at Mar-a-Lago with his arm oh. right under her breast. That yeah, famous picture. Yeah, that's the thing in front of the fountain with the pelicans or whatever. With the exactly. Two cans. Exactly. 
Well, that, yeah. that whole thing is just disgusting. And I live in Carnegie Hill. That's my neighborhood, you know, right up Fifth Avenue from, from Epstein. He was on 71st mm-hmm. Street. I would go by there every day, not to his house, but I had business later, you know, down by the Explorers Club across Madison. Right. So I was always in that neighborhood. And that's a story that certainly hasn't been told. You know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I do a lot of events in New York. So I did like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, which used to be at the Waldorf. Mm-hmm. I did the Angel ball every year, which is a Denise Rich charity, which Ivana Trump would always be at. She was there the last time I was there, which was last year. They canceled it this year, obviously. She always had a table. Jelaine would go there all the time. Jelaine, Melania, Trump, Jeffrey would hang out at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They would get a Mm -hmm. table. I got into it with Naomi Campbell, who was their other running buddy. Naomi was always with them. Wow. So he was always around. I also did the Les Wexner, you know, the Victoria's Secret runway shows. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go, but that's a story that hasn't been told. And I'll say this one thing, which always creeped me out, and I wish somebody would look into it. You know, Howard Lutnick had a, yeah. a big fundraiser. He lives next door to Epstein. Lutnick is a Howard non- Lutnick, yeah. Do you want to tell yeah. who he is? He was the, yeah. the CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald, the founder of Cantor Fitzgerald, or, you know, the boss. The company that lost so many employees right. at 9-11. 700 right. employees. He wasn't at work that morning. That's not, I'm not instigating anything. I'm just, you know, that's the guy, you know, and he's another fixture on this scene. So he owns several places in New York City, but he owns the townhouse next door to Epstein. So Epstein is number 11, I believe. Lutnick's is number nine. And he bought it from Jeffrey's brother who brokered the deal, right? Mm -hmm. So in May of 2019, I guess it would be, they had a big fundraiser. You know, it wasn't big. It was 35 guys. It was Giuliani. This is in Lutnick's house. It was Trump who came up from the city. Um, Steve Wynn flew in from Vegas. And if you know anything about Steve, he doesn't leave Vegas since he was disgraced and he's basically blind, you know, right, but he was right. he was willing to walk across this gauntlet of press. And I happened to be like riding down Fifth Avenue, you know, and I'm like, what? why is it stopped? You know, why is uh-huh. traffic? And they're like, Trump's here for a fundraiser. And I'm like, where? And then I look and I see him all going into Howard's house. Right. So that fundraiser, I think they raised like 15 million or something that night from these 30 people. And then four weeks later, what was it a fundraiser for? for Trump's campaign for this last oh, for the 2020 oh. campaign? But mm-hmm. here's the deal. And here's where my suspicion lies. It came right before Epstein got arrested. So the fundraisers in late May, Epstein, who doesn't know he's getting arrested, flies back into Teterboro right after the 4th of July, you know, and gets busted. So my sort of pet theory was always like, though Barr couldn't stop the arrest and the investigation, the original deal that Alex Acosta had set up which had the provision that all these other businessmen that were involved with Epstein were going to get a pass. You know, their names were to be kept out of this in perpetuity. That deal fell apart when the SDNY had reason to pop Epstein, right? So Mm -hmm. I think somebody got word of that and they basically had like a shakedown next door. Like, hey, we've all been next door. We all know what's happening there. We can't stop it to a certain extent, but we'll take care of it. But it's time to pony up for the boss. You know, it's time to kick in your money because if Trump's not president, you know, this thing isn't going to go away. And then Epstein died suspiciously, you know, at the Manhattan Correctional Center, you know, and Barr, who had recused himself from the case, put himself back on the case. 
you know, before right. Epstein met his demise. And that goes towards my theory of like, okay, you know, we're not rock solid airtight like it was before when he had the sweetheart deal. He's back in play, so to speak, which means we're all in a bit of jeopardy and peril. But if you pony up, we'll make sure it's taken care of. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but oh, it, not to me. Right. You know how the world works. You know, there's a lot well, of, you know, Oh, no. let me, let me make this one more point. Do you mind? Yeah. So, oh. so then he's died. He, he's dead, right? right? So like, and I said, I have business there all the time. I go to a meeting there a couple of times a week at the end of the block on Madison and 71st, you know, where the Ralph Lauren is and all that. So I'm right. riding by after he dies, you know, in the days after that week, and I'm expecting to see all kinds of press, right? And the mm-hmm. only press that's there is a Russian reporter. And he's outside of the door. And I posted pics of this on Twitter. He was outside of the door for two weeks after Epstein died, just doing live hits for RT, you know, whatever their news is, RT News, the Russian. Right. And I'm like, how is he the only reporter interested in this case? You know, and why is he interested? And of course, the Russian consulate is on 91st and 5th in the same block between. So what? It's 20 blocks. It's a mile. Right. I mean, that doesn't connect it really it doesn't connect it physically but i always thought that epstein had some kind of connection you know with the same kind of people that trump was connected to well i think they were the same kind of people is what i mean right i think that trump took a in a way a safer path because he went into his father's business and he did what he knew right but if he could have been jeffrey epstein he would have been yeah and he was i think uh, you know from what i saw of them trump was like the big brother in that instance you know people always think like trump was a disciple of jeffrey that's not the case you know if you look at that video that everybody looks at at mar-a-lago where, where they're yeah. dancing with all the you know cheerleaders or whatever yeah it's trump who says something that makes Epstein basically double over in embarrassment. Right. You know, if you watch that, Epstein's the one who like bends over, like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. And I have, you know, and think about that. You know, think about what kind of a perverse person you have to be to be the guy to make Epstein cringe, kind of like, whoa, that's too far, buddy. You know, or that's like the joke, and then the pigs left the barn. Right. Exactly. Um, no, exactly. And I have, I'll, I'll say one more thing. I have friends who were in these text chains, one friend who's so, somewhat well known, who was in a text chain with a bunch of golf buddies with Trump and like other big New York developers, you know, and they would send these texts like guys do of, of women, you know, whatever jokes and stuff. And the stuff that Trump would send was so off color and bizarre mm-hmm. that my buddy was like, you got to take me out of this. My wife's going to see this on my phone and think I'm some kind of pedophile. Like Trump was sending like really disgusting statements and things. He likes the young yeah. girls. He's very yeah. perverse and he doesn't mind who knows it, you know, if you're sort of in his circle. Ugh. I know it's disgusting. His circle is so unattractive. But don't you think that it is incredibly important for Trump to protect himself vis-a-vis Ghislaine? Of course. Wouldn't he want Ghislaine dead? Of course. Or pardoned. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I know people are obviously oh. they're thinking they're going to pardon her. I don't know how you preemptively right. do that. But yeah. Well, he's preemptively trying to pardon everybody or give them a medal of honor. Exactly. And we already know how he said Ghislaine. He goes, hey, I wish her well. Really? You wish you well? <laughs> she helped a billionaire ruin the lives of countless children. Of hundred <laughs> right. children. Children. 
You She's wish a her nice well. She's a nice girl. Right. I wish her well. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and one more thing, it just jumps back into what I was saying later, the after parties for Celebrity Apprentice, when I did a lot of that stuff, Felix Sater was a Trump Oregon employee, you know, Trump organization. Uh, right. So the right. after parties and the invited audience would be all these Russian mob types. You know, it was like guys who came in from Brooklyn with these younger women that were wearing like fur coats at the end of May. You know, and we'd go. And did they have price tags on basically, their Basically, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we'd go to these yeah. after parties, one of which was at Trump Soho. And I remember Jared and Ivanka work in the room with Felix. And he's mm-hmm. making all these introductions to these mobsters. And, you know, I didn't know then he was going to be coming, running for president. It was the farthest thing in my mind. But right. in hindsight, I was like, was this whole thing like basically a, a meet and greet for Russian mob types? You know, you could tell that some other business was being done the whole time, which is what the presidency was. You know, it was a chance to make Trump org richer. And there's no grift that's too petty. You know, as I said, they would ask for per diems on Celebrity Apprentice. If you're a billionaire's kid, you're Don Jr., you're not going up to the production coordinator and being like, where's my hundred bucks a day for incidentals? But they would do that. They would do that kind of stuff. Right. You know? Right. Well, I worked at Spy Magazine and they, before my time there, they sent him checks from different organizations for 13 cents, for two cents, for a dollar 17, and to other celebrities right. of the moment. And he was the only one who cashed them all. So, yeah. and he took a star deduction. Remember that came out in 16. He took a star deduction on his income oh, right. tax in New York City. Right. Then they got busted on it, said it was a mistake, but then reapplied for it again. I just don't understand. If he had won an Emmy Award for Celebrity Apprentice, would he have run for president? It seems his need for attention is so bottomless. It is. I mean, he never wanted to be president, he and did he, he? No, and he didn't think he was going to win. If you look at right. I have friends who were in the room with him election night. I mean, he, he was ashen. He looked scared. You know, he, he should have been right. scared. I, well, it, and I thought I thought when he said right away, my son-in-law is a genius that was the mark of a scared person and a normal son-in-law would have said, oh, I, you know, with all due respect to my beloved father-in-law, this is over my head. Right. This should be, we should let an expert do this. I mean, there was never any point at which he wanted to do anything positive for the country. It was all a way of lining his pockets and Ivanka's pockets. A hundred percent. And he was looking to for the media bump. You know, he was like, hey, I'm getting this extra exposure. I'll start my own like Rush Limbaugh type show or network or something at the end of this. He was the last guy to think he was going to win, you know, and back to Jared. Jared was the guy who set up that back channel communication with the Russians, you know, and Jared went to Harvard. Right. So he had friends out in Palo Alto. So he got in touch with his friends in Palo Alto, you know, in Silicon Valley and was like, how do I micro target on Facebook? You know, how do I find this group of voters in these counties in Michigan that voted for Obama last time, but, you know, that also own a gun and listen to Ted Nugent? You know, they found these really specific psychological traits. Jared found out where he needed to win enough votes to, to flip the Electoral College in his favor, you know, in Pennsylvania, Ohio in Michigan. And then Jared's the one who fed that information back to the Russians, right? To Cambridge mm-hmm. Analytica and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then the Russians would micro target these people with disinformation. Hillary Clinton runs a child poured ring in a pizza right. shop. You know, she's going to yeah. take your guns, you know, all this nonsense. But it worked. 
because they Jared was smart enough to know, like, we don't have to win the popular vote. We have to win 70,000 votes, you know, in three counties. And they did. And I'm, and I'm sure all of that is way too complicated for Trump to follow. You know, so that's why he was so surprised. Like, wait, I actually won. You know, and, yeah. and his look yeah. to me is like a guy who's about to go through customs who knows he's got three, <laughs> you know, three kilos in his suitcase. Like, wait, I can't be, I can't get on this plane, man. I got, oh, you know. Oh, funny. Yeah. Okay, before we go to your five things that make your life better, let's talk about the drugs to the diaper, that the pathway, <laughs> the beautiful pathway from the Adderall to the depends. Well, okay. Well, so he's a And and this I want to reassure our listeners. This is absolutely not that it matters that he wears depends. He could still be a good president except in this case he's not but this is absolutely fact it is and i'm i only pointed out you know people will push back like you're making fun of people with incontinence no i'm not you know i may well be wearing them it's a normal thing that happens to humans as they age there's no shame in that right. why i pointed out in his case is a he likes to hide it it's part of the reason for the ndas you know the ndas were more about the personal peccadillos and and right. freak show and nature hygiene. right uh-huh. than they were about trade secrets He's a long-term stimulant addict. You know, that's what he did in the 80s, the 90s. He would do cocaine. He would have methamphetamine at these after parties. He would have, like, bikers come in there. Like, really crazy, <laughs> sketchy stuff, which I put pictures up of, right? But uh-huh. his his maintenance high. And, and you know, there's no... I'm not even like abusing being, you know, using drugs. If you can do your job and use drugs, like I used to tour manage Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know, if you can do the gig, fine, you know, but if right. if you're an addict, if you're an active addiction, which he is, it means you're living in resentment and self-centered fear. You know, everything is about you and your grievance and nurturing it. And you all, all you have to do is look at Trump's tweets to see that, you know, he's very much an addict. But anyway, he chops and uses the Adderall to read. It's like I explained earlier, when he can't read that three-syllable word, what makes him feel powerful, like he can have control, because he's had Uh dyslexia since he was a kid and his family hid it and they didn't treat it because they see it as shameful. It's not, but he never treated it, right? Right. So you see how scared he is when he has to speak in public, when he has to read off a page, he's just following his finger and just phonetically going through the words. So he uses the drugs to feel more powerful powerful when he does that. That's why he sniffs. That's why he was sniffing in the debate with Hillary. Right. Um, I'm also the guy who pointed out all that Sudafed in his desk drawer at at, at his office in Trump Tower because he would take that all day, too, because he was stuffed up from snorting, you know, from snorting powder all night. But does he still have what's that thing that if you if you snort enough cocaine, septum. you get a hole. Well, in your septum, that too. You right? can see it. I've pointed it out. I don't know how many times on Twitter, and sometimes people go with it and they don't. It's right there. If you look oh. at any photo of him, there's a big scar on the right side of his nose, a big discolored lump, and makeup wouldn't stick to that on The Apprentice. It was a production issue because pancake makeup wouldn't cover it up. That's part of the reason he wears that orange concealer all the time. Well, I thought that's why he wouldn't wear a mask was because it would smear his makeup could be but to your point he did he put a hole in his septum from sniffing so Mm -hmm. much you know Mm -hmm. but anyway to answer your question if you do a lot of stimulants it stimulates your bowels you know it's a diuretic it moves water Mm -hmm. through your colon so he couldn't control himself and he would lose control of his faculties on set on the apprentice it's all on audio 
he's done it as president. Even that tape that was released yesterday, there's people on Twitter like, look, you can hear in this second him doing that. It's gross. But I only pointed it out not just to make fun of him, um, though that's always an added benefit because, you know, he's a bully and that's what he fears is being embarrassed. But because it's a sign of addiction, you know, and it's a sign of how dysfunctional he is as a human being. And that's the last guy you want leading the free world and making life and death decisions. And we see the results of this. Yeah, right now we're in a limbo that's more frightening than anything we've lived through. Exactly. And you asked at the beginning of the show why I spoke out. This is why. This is why I said NBA be damned, because the guy I know would kill us all to save face to not be embarrassed. He's a, he's a psychopath like no one I've ever met in terms of his own needs are more important than a people's needs. And sadly, right. my greatest fears came true. There's 350,000 people that were alive this time last year that are no longer alive because he spent a year focusing on his political ambitions, not solving a deadly pandemic. He said to the Secretary of State of Georgia in this now notorious phone call, he said he got bigger ratings at his rally He had bigger rallies. Exactly. I mean, the man doesn't get it that we all see that he will lie to create the illusion of popularity. Exactly. And that's all he wants. And that's what's important. And that's never enough anyway. Because it's filling a hole. It's back to what I said about addiction. You know, if Mm. you have that psychological sort of defect of character, you feel worthless on a deep down level, you know, and you're trying to fill that feeling with drugs, with power, with sex, with whatever these outside things that you think are going to give you more value in somebody else's eye. What do you think will happen to him after January 20th? That is a very good question. Do you mean legally or psychologically or both? Both. Uh, I think, I mean, you're talking to somebody who's seen him get away with everything his whole life, you know, so I don't hold the same gleeful like he's going to jail. I'm like, okay, well, he also raped somebody in Barney's and got away with it. You know what I mean? Like it was Bergdorf. Bergdorf. Yes, I'm sorry. That was right. my friend. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Gene, who I know as well, who's yeah. been very kind to me on Twitter and who I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt. And, you know, that's who he is. He's a guy who thought he could get away with attacking a famous woman that he knew, you know, in, in one of the busiest shopping districts in the entire world, three blocks from his office in a building with his name on the side of it. You know, yeah. like what else yeah. tells you what a monster this guy is than that? So he, yeah. he's somebody who's been shown that he's above the law. And God bless E. Jean Carroll. She's a hero and she's going to be the one to really stick it to him. I think her case, you know, he can't run from that fast enough. And she keeps getting these wins. Robbie uh, Kaplan, Kaplan yeah. ooh, another hero, you know? Yes, and, absolutely. And it, that's my goal um, is, is, is that it's women that take him down, you know? So let's hope the New York AG can do something. I think he'll go to Mar-a-Lago. He'll never get over this loss, but the ability to monetize it will take some of the sting away, you know? Yes, he'll be able to go give speeches. Exactly, and sell t-shirts. right? Instead of having to do a free rally, he can charge. Exactly, and he will. It'll be like WrestleMania. It'll be MAGA-mania, and he'll, you know... Magamania, yeah. yeah. Rush Limbaugh, you know, that guy's not going to, you know, be around forever broadcasting. So he'll, you know, he'll get some big contract like that. You know, he'll, some radio network will give him, you know, a hundred bucks a day or a hundred bucks a day. 
<laughs> That's what he deserved. <laughs> per diem. <laughs> right. You know, whatever. An obscene amount of money to be a thorn in, in Biden's signs. That's why it's so important to do something, especially about what happened yesterday. That was a crime. You know, he's on. Carl Bernstein's an old friend of mine. I know Carl for a long time. You know, I've talked to Carl about all this stuff going back mm-hmm. years. Carl was all over the news last night. Like, this is worse than Watergate. You know, and Carl, oh, it's way worse. And Carl told me that four years ago. We talked about all Trump. He knows who he is. See, I told him everything yeah, I know. He's like, yeah, no, this guy makes it look like child's play. Right. Um, right. So we're, we're in a moment, you know, and we've given him a pass too many times. You know, impeachment. OK, we can't do anything. We're going to let him slide. It's like I believe we have to stand up for the principles of democracy and no matter what, impeach him even before he leaves, you know, and follow up with charges and follow up with the people that have enabled this criminality. You know, your Mark Meadows, your, your, your guys that have just turned the other way to just blatant disregard because it's dangerous. And, and yeah. hopefully Wednesday comes. Bill Barr. Right. Bill Barr should be disbarred. He sure, he sure. And Bill Barr is dangerous. Mike Pompeo is dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. Trump is dangerous mm-hmm. like a loose mm-hmm. cannon. These other guys are crafty. You know, imagine what a Tom Cotton yeah. would have done in this presidency. You know, somebody who was had some self-discipline. You know, that's what you, that's what I fear most is that Trump, you know, opened the floodgates for these guys, but that somebody who has a little more of a long game and a little more self-control, that person could be really unstoppable. It's true. It's true. Um, Noel, uh, won't you be happy not to have to talk about him? I will. I will. There's some- <laughs> I mean, are you amazed by how your of all the jobs you've had and all the actual celebrities who actually have talents, are you amazed that the last four years have all been about this guy? Every day. Every day. Every day, you know, right? I was talking to my manager today and it was like, I have all these great stories of like hanging out with Stevie Wonder and Barack Obama and Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, I worked with Michael Jackson. Like I've seen all these amazing things and had a, you know, a firsthand view. I did all the Super Bowl halftime show, like just mm-hmm. really cool stuff. And I'm like, so I want to write about all that and all the positive things I've seen, you know? Right. But, everybody, right, but everybody's just like Trump. We want a Trump book. We want this and that. So, you know. Oh, uh. Well, and and let me say one more thing. I didn't write a book on Trump purposely. I was like, I'm right. giving this away on Twitter. I'm going to do it in stand up. My stand up stuff is like 12 bucks to get in, you know, at a yeah. club. It's yeah. not, I'm not yeah. getting rich. I'm not like here, follow me. I'm, you know, I'm trying to say what I know because it's bigger than me. You know, it's an, and it's important. So that's why, that's why I wanted you on the podcast. That's a hundred percent why. And it's a beautiful way to segue to the five things that make your life better. And I was very, I was very interested in your list because it's very nature based. It is. I love nature. I sit in nature all day. Nature reminds me to be present, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and then that gives me gratitude. And if I feel gratitude, I feel connected to everything and I don't need anything else. Like I'm happy with what I already have. And to me, that's the best feeling in the world. And that's how I really connect to love, which is really all about. And then when I feel love, I feel like maybe I can help somebody else, you know, and then, 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 then your blessings multiply. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your number one was sunshine. Yeah. I love a sunny day. 
it, when I'm in the makes all the difference, exactly. right? When I live in the city, I'm out and I'm, I have a back deck. I sit out with my face in the sun, or I'm in Central Park there at Engineers Gate with my face in the sun. Uh-huh. Here in the country, you know, I love a good suntan too. That's my big indulgence in life. You know, mine <laughs> mine is real, but I always look better with a tan. So I, you know, it's just it's my kind of meditation. I feel like I get energy from the sun. I think we all do, and it makes the winter bearable. Absolutely. Number two. Birds. Birds. And I know that might sound weird. I love birds. Today, you know, it snowed last night and I had to go clean out the car. I went into the city early this morning. I'm up in upstate a little bit and it's a snowy day and I'm cleaning off the car and I hear a bird chirp, you know, and it's like I'm reminded of like, again, presence and beauty and nature. You know, birds are almost so ethereal. They're like flowers. You know, they're somehow like they're between both of these worlds. Do you know what I mean? I I think so. And then also, when you hear a bird in the winter, you think... Spring is exactly. Coming. I think, hey, it's not <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this bird is singing and he's living outside, <laughs> you know, like yeah. his breakfast is under four inches of snow right now, you know, except and if he doesn't mind, right? If, yeah. if he doesn't mind, why should I? And here's the other like revelation I've had on birds. And, and I'm lucky my place backs up to a nature conservatory, so I have like, oh, nice, it's beautiful, but very rare birds too. I'm not a birdie like Audubon guy, I, I couldn't name them all, but little yellow finches and pretty gold finches, I guess they're called pretty rare birds i have a bald eagle that goes in the river and feeds wow hawks all day long herons i have a pond the herons come and they dock the pond and they eat like the frogs in the pond and ducks and geese so when i hear these birds make a sound it's like there's no sound more pure than like the the notes that come out of a bird's beak you know and i'm like how does this little thing make this beautiful acoustic sound that's pitch perfect and just travels You know, it's just, it's Mm. as from an audio, I spent a lot of my career in the music business too. From an audio standpoint, it's like nothing sounds better than that. This is a good sounding podcast, you know, (laughs) we're in good microphones, but nothing is going to ever come close to that, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Number three. Guitars. Guitars. Well, yeah. yeah see, do you play? I do. You must yeah, play. I've played yeah. my whole life and I have a nice collection of guitars. I have guitars all over the house and a barn full of guitars. When I worked for Crosby, Stills and Nash and Jackson Brown, on a day's off, we would go into music stores, you know, and find like cool used guitars. Like me and David Crosby would be in Lyon, France, and he'd call me up and be like, hey, I found a really cool old store, you know, meet me down in the <laughs> lobby, you know, and we, we'd go out and come back with all kinds of cool things. So it's just, you know, they're cool. They they relax me. And I've always loved them since I was a kid. Excellent. Did you play uh, Dona Dona? No. That was a folk song. I had that was the first song I learned when I oh, played guitar. That's when funny. I was yeah. In the eighth grade. Nice. Smoke um, Smoke on the Water was the classic oh, song, you know. Oh, that was way advanced. I could do G seven. Nice. That's a beautiful um, chord. Yeah. 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 Well, at least I can remember it. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Number number four books. Books. Yeah. And and not books like I'm the most literate person. I come from a pretty literate family, you know, but um, I love to read, but it's books that have given me probably the biggest gifts in my life that have changed my life. You know, and I mean that in terms of some spiritual books I've read, you know, in, mm-hmm. in my darkest moments, I've read books that are like given, they've given me the wisdom I needed in that moment. You know, and when I read a really good book, for some reason, it always makes me stand up straight a little more and it makes me breathe deep. And I'll find myself, I do this weird humming thing, almost like a cat purrs or something. If I'm reading something like really that I recognize as truth, 
I'll start to sort of hum, you know, like I can feel the words in my body. And when wow. I'm when I'm done, it's like a meditation, you know, so I can't imagine life without that gift. And it's also how we pass information from one person to another, you know, in, in the larger sense of things. I have to say, over the pandemic, I have gotten very screen tired, yeah. screen fatigued. And so picking up a book is, for me, a great pleasure. Me too. Number five neroli oil <laughs> do tell i get this neroli oil from india from i don't know if you know who ama is they call her the hugging saint she's an indian woman who gives these hugs she's very oh i've read right. about yeah, her exactly yes. she comes to new york every year and ten thousand people line up to get her hugs and uh i started going to see her like 10 years ago because i saw it in the local news and she was at the Manhattan center or something and they have these uh kind of like hippie stuff they sell at the back hall you know uh incense and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and i got this neroli oil and it just worked to relax me. You know, I put it in a little oil burner and I smell it. And it's the same effect I get from the birds or the books or whatever. It just mm -hmm. centers me. I'm somebody who's very high energy. I deal in the kind of stuff we've been talking about. You know, my right. work is sort of conflict oriented. So if something can just sort of get me in that Zen place, I use it. You know, and it can put it in a so bath. So it's not something you put on your skin or your hair. It's it's something you inhale. Exactly. I put it in an oil burner and it just sort of fills up the room. Though you can put it on your pressure points and stuff. Or I put it off and in a hot bath, put some mm -hmm. drops of it. I like bubble baths too. It was a toss up between bubble baths, you know, hot baths and, and neroli oil for number five. Uh, well, um, Rich Cohn, who's a writer put bubble baths in his list. So this is a new one for me. And is it from the, it comes from the neroli. Right. It's an orange. What is a neroli? It's an orange. Oh. Yeah. Neroli oh, is like oh. an Indian orange. Oh. As far as I know. And it smells like oranges. Oh, and you can get it in any, exotic. yeah, it's, it's uh, right. It's cool. You can yeah, get it in any health food cool. store and it's just a great smell. You know, it just makes you feel vibrant and alive. I'm going to have to check it out. I would recommend it. Well, thank you so much, Noel. This has been so fascinating and I just can't wait till this era is over, but at least we had you here during the last days of this craven empire. Well, thanks for having me. It was an honor. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Noel Kassler, stand-up comedian and live TV talent handler, much harder than it sounds, who worked on Trump's Celebrity Apprentice finales for six seasons. You can follow Noel on Twitter, as I do, at KasslerNoel or on Instagram at Noel Kassler. My blog is at lisabirnbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.